0: Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hello, and welcome back to Heels in the Courtroom. This is Liz Lenovey, and today I am joined by Amy Gunn and Erica Slater. And what we're going to talk about today is what qualities we look for in good mediators. And I feel like this is particularly timely, or at least it's been on my mind, because with trials coming back and cases getting resolved, I feel like the need for mediation has been greater than ever, really, during my career, at least. And something that I've noticed is that there are qualities that we look for in mediators that I think make for a positive experience, both for the clients as well as for the attorneys, but also make it more likely that the case will resolve a higher success rate. And what I started thinking about is, well, what exactly are those qualities that I'm thinking about in a mediation that make the experience good, that make me want to come back to that mediator in the future to resolve more of my cases? And then on the flip side of that, what are the qualities or what are the attributes of the mediators who maybe I'm thinking I don't want to go back to. And I think we all have stories of good experiences and stories of bad experiences, which hopefully our listeners who may be attending their first mediation or trying to find a new mediator, hopefully this will be helpful in guiding you through that process. And so, Erica, are there any stories, whether good or bad, about mediations and specifically the interactions with the mediator, him or herself, that you can think of you know, when we're talking about this topic?
1: Well, I think the way you pick a mediator kind of starts the process for what you're looking for, right? So typically... One party or the other, usually whoever suggests mediation, may suggest a mediator or a group of mediators. They might throw out one and say, this is who we want to work with, or might throw out three or something and say, you know, can we agree to someone from this list? Often when I (laughs) I get those lists, it's one of two things there's someone on there that everyone knows we're all going to agree to because we've worked with them in the past and you know we've all had good experiences or whatever or i get a list of 3 people who are recognized as "quote unquote" defense friendly mediators and as a plaintiff attorney i'm not really interested in working with anyone who has a reputation for Being more well-liked by one side than the other. I feel like that's not really what makes a good mediator. What makes a good mediator is someone who has respect from both sides because they're effective as opposed to being friendly or favorable to one side or the other. So for example, I remember one case. It was a, a case in federal court and we were ordered to mediation. And I said to the defense attorney, hey, should we just Ask the court to maybe skip mediation because, you know, we made a policy limit demand and that's all the insurance you have and I'm never coming off that demand. So if we mediate, there won't be any negotiation. And so, it you know, it's a waste of time and money and let's approach the court about that because you've told me you're not going to pay that. And, you know, he kind of hemmed and hawed about it. And he said, no, you know, I'm not going to agree to that. I talked to my client and they think that there's some value to going forward with the mediation. And I knew I didn't have a leg to stand on. So I went through the motions and I told the defense attorney, I said, great, sounds good. Why don't you pick the most defense friendly mediator that you can think of, anyone your client wants to work with, and we'll do a mediation. And you know, we'll go through that process. And they did. <laughs> Someone who I recognize and is mm-hmm. known as being a very defense-friendly person. And we sat there through the mediation. It was during COVID, so it was by Zoom. And all I kept saying was, no, no, no. Are you coming off your name, man? No. They'll offer you this. Do you want to come off a little bit? No. <laughs> like, yeah, I, told I, I don't know. know if people just didn't believe what I was saying, or, you know, I guess they have to test you. But anyway, so we left the mediation. They had offered half the policy limits, and the mediator took like 20 minutes to tell my client how, you know, they've seen these cases go the opposite way, and, you know, they're going to look at this and that and the other thing. And I was just, my blood was boiling, but I'm on Zoom and I'm not in the room with my client. The good thing is, I had prepped him, like, hey, This is how I set this up. I told them to ask, you know, get the most defense-friendly mediator, you know, whoever they're going to listen to, because the message that they're going to keep having to take back into that room is that we're not budging. And so I just got more angry and more angry as this mediator was just telling my client, you know, you'd be lucky to take it. You know, are you sure? Are you sure? And I'm kind of sitting there like, hey, you know what? Yeah. And I've advised my client, and this is the decision we're making. So anyway, so two weeks later, they paid their policy limit, <laughs> which is the moral of that story. But it goes to show that, you know, if you get a reputation as too one-sided or being too easy on one party or the other, then you're not really going to be effective as a mediator. As far as that goes, I think the most effective mediators are people who have credibility with both parties. I know we mediate a lot of our med mal cases with a med mal defense attorney. We respect that person. The other side respects that person. And they have respect for and are honest and effective with both sides. So you know, they're not there to tell you what your case is and tell you that you as an attorney are evaluating your case wrong. So we never hear that from this particular person that we work with quite a lot.
0: And I'm thinking about the person that you're specifically (laughs) mentioning now, Erica, and I've had that same experience where every time I've had a mediation with this particular mediator, he sort of has the same presentation to the client, which is you have very good attorneys. You should trust what your attorneys say. And nothing I say is going to trump the advice of your counsel. They know your case better than I could ever know your case trust them. And I appreciate that so much because he's right. I know this case better than he ever will because I've lived it. I've been thinking about it nonstop. I've worked it up over the last several months, sometimes years. I know what's in this case. He has maybe the five-page brief I wrote and the five-page brief the other side wrote, which the case can't possibly be distilled down that far. So I so appreciate when he comes to the mediation and he reminds my client that I have their best interest at heart. And I'm contrasting that with an experience I had within the last couple of months where we went to the the mediation. I'm sitting there with my clients and the mediator comes in and he's a nice enough guy. I'd never worked with him before, but he just starts going into all of his horror stories about the uncertainty of jury trial. Oh, come on. (laughs) And just story after story of a jury getting it wrong, getting it wrong. And I kind of had to stop him. And I was like, "Okay, we get it. We get it. You know, juries are unpredictable, but it's the system we have and it's the system I trust. And it's what we're stuck with. And just like you're saying the jury could get it wrong for us, couldn't the jury on the flip side get it wrong for the other side? Isn't that just as possible, Mr. Mediator? And it got to the point where once he left, I had to turn to my clients and say, I just need you to erase everything he just said out of your brain because I need you to listen to what I'm telling you. I will represent the risks to you. And I think we've been honest this entire time about what the risks of going to trial are. And I think you're well aware of that right and i need you to take that risk with me because again it's the only system we have but at the end of the day the mediator's not here to make the best decision for you the mediator's here to try to resolve the case sure but ultimately you have to trust me and i hope you can trust me that i'm the person that has your best interest at heart and i'm going to give you my best advice based on the care and attention that I have for you in your case. And luckily, my clients trusted me. They rejected the offers that came in. We walked out of the mediation. But I was just so disappointed in the way that he had spoken to my client. And he wasn't rude. He wasn't disrespectful. I didn't feel like he was bullying the client, which is a different experience I've had, where I have felt like the mediator was bullying both me and my client. But it was just really disappointing, really disheartening. And I just don't think I'll be going back to him. So, you you will not. (laughs) No. So, (laughs) Amy, I know you've got some experience with mediators as well, good and bad.
2: I'll start with the bad because it's just a little more spicy. It occurred to me that I probably have relayed this story on this podcast before, but this was, oh gosh, 10 or 15 years ago. I represented a minor child who, as a result of medical negligence, had suffered a stroke during a heart surgery. The surgeon had nicked the pulmonary artery, which is the main pumping artery, and she lost a ton of blood and had some strokes. She survived, but she had some developmental delays, physical delays, that type of thing. It was a very serious case. The parents were wonderful people. The little girl was adorable. It was a very strong case in a mid-Missouri venue. So uh, work up the case, work really hard on it, agree to mediate, And I used to be, and I do still say this sometimes, look, if you wanna pick the mediator, pick the mediator. Ain't no mediator gonna tell me what my case is worth. So if you pick someone who can be efficient and polite and doesn't mind working hard, then knock yourself out. I'll take that person. I learned a lesson in that mediation because you do need to weigh in. So the mediator was a defense attorney In mid Missouri, and we had the mediation at his office. And I'm seeing all these red flags now that I would not repeat. But at the time, you know, you live and learn. My clients get there. This was also the day of opening statements, where in mediations, and this was a long time (laughs) ago, where you would literally kind of give an opening statement with some slides and discuss the liability, causation, damages, the goods and the bads. So I did that for my clients. I never minded doing it because it really showed your client you were like, you knew what you're talking about. Wow, you've been working on my case. But in that case in particular, it was the beginning of the end of that for me because everything that the defense said and did really upset my clients, like really upset them and does not bode well for negotiating right? because now you're just mad. And
1: that's the general consensus, too. Mediators all hate it because everyone left the initial session pissed off.
2: Right. So luckily, most mediators now are totally like, we're not doing that. So at any rate, we break up. I had made a demand. We're in our separate rooms. There's a little bit of movement, not very much. And I've got this younger couple with me. And the mediator, we're not moving fast enough, I guess, for him. And he comes in and he starts talking about how he just wasn't sure how a mid-Missouri jury was going to respond to a female attorney. Yeah. And that is (laughs) legit the truth, not from 50 years ago. And I had, coincidentally, maybe, had a plaintiff's verdict in a mid-Missouri, mid-Mal case in a county that I found out later, like, hasn't had a plaintiff's verdict in a MedMal case like before or after, you know? Even with a boy brain? I know. <laughs> Even a boy brain didn't Even. get a MedMal verdict in that county before Even your girl no, brain did. I know. It's crazy that that could accomplish that. So anyway, I was thinking, and this wasn't that long after that verdict, okay? And I say, whoa, Mr. Mediator, you know, thank you for that bit of information, but maybe you didn't hear that I had a verdict in a MedMal case a couple of counties over and not that long ago of seven figures, you know? So what, and I I, I was so taken aback that I'm sure I responded better in my brain than I did out loud, or maybe (laughs) probably on the way home, I did a great job putting that guy in his place. (laughs) But in the meantime, I kind of got him out of the room, and Liz, kind of to your point, I had luckily worked hard to establish trust with my clients. They knew I'd worked hard in the case. I'd had a good relationship with them. They were offended for me. They were offended for me. And I said, look, y'all, we're going to give this a little bit of time because it's not about me. I could be offended all day long, and if they get to the number we want, then it's fine. You know, forget about me. But that, of course, didn't happen because he was bullying us and not bullying them. And it broke down pretty soon thereafter. And as I said, my clients were almost as mad and protective of me as I was mad and protective of them. And I guess the mediator, I guess that was lost on him. And I do think this happens sometimes when you're on one side or the other For so long, you drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak. And I think it happens to our side, too, where you just don't break things down into a personal relationship, which is all we ever have in any of this. And so you overlook that. And he believed, perhaps, that I wasn't good at that relationship, didn't understand what that relationship was, and hoped by telling my clients that they had chosen a terrible lawyer, that they would be scared And take whatever money was offered there's no other reason i can think of for why that interaction happened other than to scare or bully my clients and i remember coming home and i think i've also mentioned this calling john simon and just being livid and john instead of you know being like yes i understand was like this is awesome and I was like, "What? <laughs> Making like so mad? and spit? Mm. That's awesome." He's like, "Yeah, you know why?" I'm like, "I'm waiting." He says, "Because you are going to work hard on this case. These people are going to get. I mean, you're not that they are, don't have your A game, <laughs> but girl, you're not going to sleep until you put this case to bed in the only way you know how, which is a verdict or the money you want for it." Oh my god! And he understood that motivation before I did. And guess what? I settled that case a few months later before trial for really good money, <laughs> way more than what this gentleman had suggested that we take. And irony upon irony, he and I are now in a national organization together. And I see him occasionally in this one in which they let lady brains in. I know. <laughs> Not many. Okay, that's well, part of the problem. That's part of the problem. It's a big minority, but we're working on it. And in fact, the first time I saw him, he was kind of shyly came up to me because it wasn't too long after that interaction that we saw each other. I mean, it's probably a couple of years, but he obviously is still remembered and mama still remembered it. I ain't never <laughs> going to forget it. And he kind of said, oh, huh, 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 whatever happened with that case. And I was like, insert name. I settled it for about five times more than you recommended And I just sort of left it there. And he was like, oh. And I don't know that he ever really had any notion of the offensiveness of that interaction. And then you ask yourself, and I think we deal with this quite a lot in our profession, when do you shove it in their face? And when do you rise above it? And I (laughs) I try to rise above it, but that's only after I've had like a big session and complained and moaned (laughs) like in front of everybody and got all the information and like all the, oh, your rights and validations from everybody. By the time I actually have to deal with that person, I'm kind of, I don't want to say I'm over it, but I'm over the heat of it. Or do you say, hey, yeah, you know what? You were awfully offensive and I just need you to know that. And I hope you don't treat any other woman in the future like that. And I don't know, maybe I'll do that one day. I do still see him.
0: I think that last part is the important part of are you reacting so you feel good or are you trying to use this as a teaching opportunity? Because hopefully, hopefully this man has learned from this experience and he won't walk into a room next time, Erica or I am the attorney, the plaintiff's attorney. He's obviously not gonna do that to you. I've learned that lesson.
2: I can't count on that. I don't know. But I can tell you that I have become more educated and skilled on how to respond in the moment. And I believe in the moment, I do have a passive-aggressive way of dealing with things like this. But in the moment, if that happened to me today,
0: I would not have reacted the same way. I would have attempted to shame him. The experience I was just talking about with, with my bad experience, I wasn't quite sure how to respond to what the mediator was saying when he was in the room. And my sort of go-to when he was saying about all the risks of jury trial and all of that, this, that and the other was to sort of launch into, well, here are all the strengths of my case. In case you weren't aware, you want to talk about all of the risks. Let me tell you about why I feel so strongly about taking all of these risks to the point that I kind of felt like I was arguing in front of a judge. It felt like I was, you know, doing some sort of hearing or, or I was trying to explain it to a jury, which, frankly, I don't think he cared I don't think that it was a particularly useful exercise for him, but I felt compelled to do it. And I also felt like maybe if nothing else, it at least emboldened my clients or made them feel better about the situation, which he was clearly trying to get them down about. I felt like I needed to turn around the energy in the room to say, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Obviously, we know that there are weaknesses to the case, but are you aware of all of the strengths? Right. In the moment, I was like, am I doing this right? Am I just talking to make myself feel better? I think I made the right choice because my clients did sort of, I I could see their their backs kind of straighten up a little bit of like, hey, you know, listen to her. Listen to what she's saying right now. I don't think it made a difference to the mediator. I really just don't think he cared. But in the moment, that was how I chose to respond.
2: I'm going to say that was the right response. Because you're not there to make the mediator feel better or worse. You're there to advocate for your clients. And your instinct was to do that, regardless of what the threat was, whether it was defense attorney or the mediator or you name it. So I think that was your reaction, but it was the correct reaction. I think that if you had kind of agreed with them, then the clients would have felt like it was both of you against them. And you had done your job previously with them, which was to alert them of the risks of going forward. You explained why you recommended the mediation. So for a mediator to tell the clients things like, you could lose a trial, really is insulting to you, believing that you hadn't mentioned that. Oh, yeah. By the way, we could lose a trial. Now, maybe this mediator in particular has been in situations where there are lawyers who don't fully advise their clients of the risks. Maybe that's his baggage and he just wants to make sure that he's laying it all out there. I I don't know, but I believe your response was correct to push back a little bit, not only to educate him, maybe he needed that, but most importantly, to make your clients feel like you're their fighter.
1: And to keep your rapport with your clients, because if at the end of that you're going to recommend to them to walk away, yeah. you know, they want to know that you are in control of the information and they can kind of direct it to like, well, that mediator, you know, just wasn't seeing it the way we were or whatever. And I can't think of a time that's been a problem with our clients in mediation, but that's also the way we all practice, not only preparing clients for mediation in talking or litigation in general, you know, saying like, this is an uncertain process. Here's what we're relying on. Here's where we're drawing information from to make calculated choices about risk and benefit of, you know, going forward or whatever. But at the same time, like, especially informing your client of the weaknesses in your case. And that can be a hard conversation, but I always couch it with, hey, you know, this is the hardest part of my job: dragging families through litigation, which can be hard and uncertain. You know, if you're in litigation, there's some dispute. Right. <laughs> you know, like right. that's the nature of it. They didn't call you the next day after your, you know, kid had a surgery on the wrong part of their body and say, "Hey, we'd love to pay you ten million dollars. Yep,
2: not going to happen. How about
1: that? And then you'll be fine, and you won't even have to hire an attorney. If that was our world. Then we we wouldn't be needed.
2: We would find something else to do. Yeah.
1: But, you know, in even preparing someone before a mediation, like, hey, this is what I know about this mediator. They will often have a conversation directly with you. They like to, you know, point out the weaknesses of our case. So they make us feel bad. But I promise they're doing the same to the other room. Yes. Or the opposite. You know, be ready for them to come in and talk up or talk down your case I want you to know, like, take it in one ear and out the other. Here's what our assessment is and the message we are sending. And the other thing I always tell my clients before mediation so I can have flexibility is that I am often going to have conversations with the mediator outside of your hearing. That's strategic so they don't have to say things in front of you that they might say to me. I promise you. Every time I speak with the mediator, I will come back in this room and tell you exactly what was said. Yes. So the fact that we're having conversations outside of your hearing does not mean you won't have that information because I want the mediator to do that. I don't want them to craft the message in front of my client if that's not the way I want to deliver it or not the way I want to couch it. And the other thing, Liz, so... (laughs) I put a tool in my mediation toolbox after the first mediation I went to with John Simon. It was early on when I started working here, and it was a case that he, you know, I was a young attorney at the time, and I was helping out as an associate. He knew the case. It was in the office before I got here. And so he was kind of running things, but I was able to tag along. And the mediator did that to us, like came in and like told us why our case was bad. And it was incredible to see John just kind of relax in his chair. And we're in, you know, a high rise in downtown St. Louis. And he just looked at the mediator. He said, you know, I'm looking out this window and I see the gateway arch. No. <laughs> <laughs> and the is like, okay. And he goes, and all I'm hearing from that room is that I'm sitting in Kansas City and I'm looking out the window and all I see is the gateway arch. So I'm positive I'm not in Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was just a lesson in like, they can tell me all day that I'm wrong about my case or I'm looking at things wrong or I'm evaluating it wrong, but I I'm know not. what I know yeah. and you can't convince me otherwise. And it was a nice, subtle, <laughs> maybe a sort of <laughs> passive aggressive way of saying, get out of here with that nonsense. Right. So. I put that in my toolbox. And, you know, I don't direct it at the mediator. But if they come back with all these nonsense things that a defendant or the opposing party, these conversations and mediations are not specific to plaintiff versus defense most of the time. But if the opposing room is saying all this crap about your case that you're just like, yeah, no, like they can run their mouth on that all day, but I'm never going to consider it, you know whatever city you're in pick the next closest and go ahead and rattle that off and see
2: see what it does for you <laughs> it's true i think good mediators have a number of qualities they are relatable they are affable i pick mediators that i think the clients will relate to in terms of respecting their abilities respecting their pedigree their cv whatever it's not always former judges and it breaks down as you all have noted, when that mediator becomes anything other than a true neutral. And I do say the same thing, Erica, which is, look, y'all, I know we feel like we're getting beat up, but I'm telling you, he's beating them up too. And I hope that's what's happening. And I'll give him the benefit of the doubt until a few moves when they're still coming back, beating me up for the third time about the same thing. And then you sense it. And then you're like, all right, slow down. I will oftentimes just say, look, what do you want me to do here, mediator? What would you like to see happen next? Because I do think that person might already have a sense by putting the two bits of information together from either side and might have this number that could you know, overlap. And I will take that advice for a little bit. Sometimes, I mean, not always, but I will ask for it. And then judge a little bit more when you find out that answer. Is it ridiculous? Is he getting or she getting somewhere that makes sense? So I look for that relatability, not only to the client, but to me. Do I trust this person? And that's a hard thing to do. I think, you know, in our profession, it's hard to trust anybody who isn't 100% on your side. So a neutral sort of is neither on your side nor their side. It's kind of like, I have to trust you because you're supposed to be a, quote, neutral. So I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, but you're going to have to prove that to me because I'm not going to tolerate anybody bullying my clients or me. And you can say I learned that the hard way. So I think the best mediators are folks that are willing to work with you, that you have a rapport and relationship with and a mutual respect. So then I can go to my clients and say, this is somebody I've worked with. I respect him or I respect her. And here's why you should. You know, the folks that we've mentioned here today, they aren't on that list. And here's what else. They never will be. They've blown it. And maybe that's okay. They're on plenty of lists somewhere, just not mine. There are many things that I look for. But first and foremost, it is someone who I think I can trust to just do their job. And their job doesn't include, you got to get this case settled at all costs. No. Many, many mediations, you make a little bit of movement. And there are very few, even though it can be very frustrating not to settle a case after how many hours you've been together, but there are very few mediations that are truly worthless. They may feel worthless. We're going to complain, well, I just wasted Mm -hmm. a whole day. But if you go back and think about the day and what you learned, there are very few that are truly worthless. So as much as I would prefer to go in and just get her done, there is a great deal to learn from the process. And as we always say, patience is important. So if you can trust this mediator and trust the process, more times than not, at least in my experience, it either settles or you know it can't, and that's helpful, or it eventually will.
1: And in that regard, too, I always tell my clients, which I think I stole this from a mediator's script, that no numbers matter at all except the last numbers. Right. The last number they tell you that this is it. And the first numbers don't matter. (laughs) usually tell them our first number doesn't really matter either, guys. (laughs) Um, Gotta start somewhere. (laughs) Gotta
0: start somewhere.
1: (laughs) Don't ask for a number you actually think they'll ever pay. (laughs) That would be a mistake during mediation. But, you know, just to kind of not get wrapped up in the process, just have patience. And I tell them, like, if you could shut your ears off to every number in between, I'll handle the strategy and the calculation of how the negotiation goes. That's not what you're responsible for. It's only the numbers that we get to at the end of the day. And when we make a decision of we leave or not. Yeah. And have the discipline to leave as well.
2: Yeah. That's a whole nother.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and hopefully hopefully
1: you've hired a mediator who will tell you at 11 a.m. that it's time yeah. to leave instead of 4 p.m. Yeah. When they know it's not going to get done. Yeah.
0: I feel like that's a muscle <laughs> that gets stronger. Or maybe my patience gets shorter.
2: I feel patience like, is so hard.
0: I feel like when I was earlier in my career, I was more willing to, well, wait it out. Well, let's just see where it goes. Let's see, you know, maybe, maybe, you know... <laughs> <laughs> Just so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and still <laughs> filled with hope. And and now that I'm— it's beat out of you. It's been beat out of me. And now after two hours, if I don't feel good about it, I'm ready to go. I know. Let me go get yeah. lunch somewhere else. I don't want to eat here. Or
1: rather start them at <laughs> 1 o'clock and you have a hard yeah, stop. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I feel like in every mediation, anything that gets done in eight-hour mediation could have absolutely gotten done in four because it's all— I mean, the drama of it is so silly. I believe that's true. <laughs> so true. Dr- True. So true. I had a defendant like, "Hey, my client only wants to pay for a half day mediation," and I'm like, "Great!
0: Sign me up! Awesome!
1: <laughs> awesome!" So you mean I'll be able to learn what they're willing to pay at mediation in four hours instead of eight? Okay. Great. <laughs>
0: Well, ladies, thank you so much for another wonderful discussion. I really cannot wait for my next mediation where I get to tell the mediator I can see the arch (laughs) from my window. And in Kansas City, I I can see that arch. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you all for listening. Remember, new episodes drop every Wednesday. And if you have any questions or any topic ideas for us, please reach out to us at heelsinthecourtroom.law. Thanks so much and talk to you next week. Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, and Megan would love to hear from you. Send your thoughts to comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law. And check out other legal podcasts in the Simon Law Firm Library. The Jury is Out with John Simon focuses on lifelong learning to elevate your practice. Subscribe today.